class is Memory of Jared Orchen, and today we are going to learn a Talmudic story, a beautiful Talmudic story about Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua. From the chapter of Brachot, Tractate of Brachot, um, page 27b. <coughs> we'll just give a little backdrop of what was going on. It was a few years after the destruction of the Second Temple, this story. The destruction of the Second Temple moved the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, the Jewish Supreme Court, from Jerusalem to Yavne. Rabbi Yochanan Mezakai was the leader of the Jewish people. He decided that Jerusalem has no future. What's the point of fight? Will be, everybody will be killed. They moved to Yavne. In Yavne, who became the head of the of the of the of the Sanhedrin, the leader of the Jewish people, somebody from the house of Hillel. The Hillel family was a lineage of 15 generations. Why they were a lineage? Because they came from the house of David. And Judaism, and the, it's written in Jewish law, then if you can, the leader of the Jewish people should be somebody from the house of David. That Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai made an effort to save Rabbi Gamliel that he should become the leader of the Jewish people in Yavne. That it was he was the leader. He was also he was called the head of the yeshiva, and together with him was Av Beidin, the head of the of the of the of, of the supreme like number two in command. Rabbi Gamliel was number one. Rabbi Yeshua was number two. Vice mayor, vice president. And here starts the story. Let's read from inside the story. The respective... The respective positions of Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua, cited above, figured prominently in an incident. The rabbis taught in a baraisa, there was an incident involving a certain disciple who came before Rabbi Yeshua. The disciple said to him, is the evening prayer elective or compulsory? Okay. The question was, at that time, things started to settle down. In the beginning, after the destruction of the temple, nobody had time for such questions. They were, the Jewish people were bleeding, destroyed, and many people, millions, hundreds of thousands were killed, and many were sold in slavery. It was bad. But the things started to come down, they started to ask questions that were not settled yet among the Jewish people. One of the questions was, is the evening service obligatory or optional? Why is the question? The question is because we have three services a day, Shachrit, morning service, afternoon service, and evening service. The morning service, it's all com um, corresponding to the sacrifices in the temple. In the temple, we had a morning sacrifice and we had an afternoon sacrifice. Shach is a mincha. That's for sure obligatory. Then, leftover of the sacrifice were burning all the way into the night. Then, that was the correspond corresponds to the third service, the Marif service. But that was not an obligation to burn the sacrifice at night. It was only if there was leftover, then that was burned. Then the question was, is this an obligation or just... Optional, if you want, you do it or not. This disciple went to ask Rabbi Gamliel, uh, Rabbi Yeshua first, is it, is it obligatory or, or, uh, or uh, optional? 
Go ahead. He replied, it is elective. The same disciple then came before Robin Gamliel. He said to him, is the evening prayer elective or compulsory? Robin Gamliel replied, it is compulsory. This alone to go to two rabbis and ask him as a try, that's alone is a whole discussion. There is a, there is a Jewish law that said a person should, should, join, should, should choose himself one rabbi. Because if you ask enough, enough doctors, you get the answer you want, you ask enough rabbi, you, will, you can end up not being Jewish because everyone will give you the lenient in another thing, you'll be left with nothing. Then you get your rabbi, the same thing is here, this alone was not so, but he wanted to get to the bottom of it, what's the opinion? In general, you see for me, as we'll see later, Rabbi Gamliel was more on the strict side, Rabbi Yeshua was more on the lenient side. Who reminds us the two sides of lenient and strict? Betshamay and Betilel. That was after Betshamay and Betilel. Rabbi Gamliel was actually from the house of Hillel, right? But he behaved like Betshamay. Was he, uh, I mean, he and Eliezer didn't get along very well. Uh, sure, Rabbi Eliezer was also a Betshamay guy. Yeah, yeah. It's written, Rabbi Lezer Shamute, he was from, from Bet Shammai. Yeah. Then it's all, but you know, I remember once I, uh, somebody wrote in the newspaper, he says the Allah is like Bet Hillel, but the rabbis behave like Bet Shammai. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly it. Rabbi Gamliel was from Hassan, from the descendants of, of Hillel, but he was more, more on the strict side. Okay. Let me continue. Where are we at here? The disciple. The disciple said to him, Rabbi Yehoshua told me it is elective. Rabbi Gamliel said to him, wait until the shield bearers, i.e. the Torah scholars, enter the study hall. Why they, called, yeah, why they are called shield bearers? There's a few explanations, but the, the one, the more, it's because they, with their Torah, with their merit, protect the Jewish people. Jewish law says that uh, there was a story in the town where they asked, called the Rabbis came to a city and said, we are the, the guardians of the city. Did they brought the guardians and said, no, 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 no. That's not the real guardians of the city. We are the Torah teachers of the city. They are the guardians of the city. The, the shield barriers are the, <coughs> are the scholars. That's the idea behind uh, in, in today. A lot of uh, uh, Jews who are studying and don't go to the military because they're spiritual. Protectors. Because, because learning Torah protects the Jewish people. Yes, Judaism believes in it very much. And the truth is like this, if, every, if everybody would learn Torah, some of them would have to go to the army, no matter what, because they need the army. But because it, it happens by itself, there is enough people, it's not because it's enough, there is an army, and there is a group of people learn Torah, that the learning Torah is protecting the Jewish people too. We also see it with the Amida, with Abraham, and also with uh, when we were doing uh, um, the blessings uh, for, I think, for the Haftorah with King David uh, being referred to as shield, other shields. The, it's you right, Magen Avram, the shield of the because he's yeah because he's a shield of the Jewish people. Yes. Interesting. David Ben Gurion, you know, as liberal as he was in the beginning, set aside I think twenty thousand spots for yeshiva uh, students mm -hmm. who didn't have to go into the military mm -hmm. for it, yeah. based upon this concept. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Go ahead. Uh, the questioner arose and asked. Is the evening prayer elective or compulsory? Rabban Gamliel said, it is compulsory. Rabban Gamliel then said to the sages, is there anyone who disputes this ruling? Rabbi Yehoshua said to him, Rabban Gamliel said to Rabbi Yehoshua, 
but in your name it was reported to me. No, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua said to no. him, no. Oh, no, okay. Ramagandamal <laughs> said to Rabbi Yehoshua, uh, but in your name it was reported to me in the evening prayers elective. Said Ramon Gamaliel to Rabbi Yehoshua, Yehoshua, stand up on your feet. Okay, okay, let's stop right here. He told them, he asked the questions in public. He said, was once a week was a big lecture. Hundreds of people used to come to hear the lecture. All the rabbis, everybody was a special room place where the, where the leader of the Jewish people used to, and then the Nasi, and then the Avbeidin used to sit next to him, and so on. He says, before the lecture, we're going to ask the question. And then we'll, we'll settle this, this matter once and for all. That he, before the lecture starts, he turns to this student, said, stand up, ask the question. He asked the question. Is it, is, it, uh, is, is it obligatory or optional? Mariv is evening service, obligatory or optional? Rabbi Yeshua said, obligatory. Says anybody disagree with me? Rabbi Yeshua tells him, no. Didn't you say to this boy that it's obligatory? Why Rabbi Yeshua lied? Because he didn't want to fight for the sake of peace. He was ready to to forego on his opinion. Apparently, Robin Gamaliel is pretty intimidating at this point in time. He yeah. was intimidating. <laughs> and actually, I think at some point he's threatened with potentially being, you know, we'll get to, We'll get there. We'll he get was there. We'll get, we'll get yeah. there. <laughs> no, Robin Gamaliel you know, was also, he, he excommunicated Rabbi Eliezer from the Yeshiva. Maybe yeah. next week we'll learn this story. But this week, but, uh, and he was very strict. Why was he very strict? Because he believed it was after the destruction of the temple. He said, if we are not putting the foot down, everyone will open his own show, start his own, his own religion. And it could we, be it we, was we also have modern Judaism. Or, uh, the, the, it could be it was a time of uh, <laughs> other religions started from Judaism, and that's why he was so strict about it. And um, it was the same time. That's why he was so strict. And, uh, and therefore, he, was, he, was, he said to Rabbi Yeshua, didn't you tell him that this? That what Rabbi Yeshua answered them. No, first of all, he told them, stand up, Rabbi Yeshua, and we'll see who was right. To tell them to stand up was an insult. Go ahead. Yeshua, stand up on your feet and let them testify against you. Yeshua stood up on his feet and said, Were I alive and the questioner dead, I would be able to deny my ruling. For the living are able to contract the dead. Contradict the dead. Now, however, that I am alive and he is alive, how can the living contradict the living? Basically, I'm forced to confess that I uh, issued that ruling. Yeah, he said, if he, if the other boy, the guy would be dead, it was an expression. A living person says, oh, you know, always you see people go around in the name and quote things from the name of rabbis who passed away. Very easy. They can never come and they can contradict you. What's the problem? This rabbi told me this. This was a rabbi in Kaunites many years ago. He was the rabbi of the community. He passed away. Suddenly, were in his name hundreds of rulings. <laughs> the rabbi said this. The rabbi said this. Really? Where can you prove it? Can you oh, everybody can say. Here he says, I cannot, I cannot deny. Here I'm alive. He's alive. That's it. I have to admit that. I told him that. Okay. The price goes on. Rabbi Gamel continued sitting and lecturing, and Rabbi Yeshua remained standing on his feet. The, the, the protocol was that the Nasi, the leader, has to tell the person who made him stand up, he has to give him permission to sit down. He didn't give him permission to sit down, and he started his lecture. 
until all the people murmured in indignation. Then what happened? He continued with this. The old people, the crowd who came to listen to the lecture, they 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 uh, they started to murmur. What's the Murmured. word? They booed them. They booed the rabbi. To a point. Go ahead. And said to Chutzpah, the announcer, stop. And he stopped. Wow. Chutzpah Sameturgemon is one of the ten martyrs we read about them in Yom Kippur prayers. One of the ten people who were killed by the Roman uh, Emperor. Chutzpah Sameturgemon. It used to be the rabbi spoke in a normal voice before the days of microphones. And there was a guy with a strong voice, he used to say it much louder. They, they, they didn't tell the rabbi to stop, they told Chutzpah Sameturgemon. Stop, stop in translating, stop saying what he says. Was that, is it, was he the last one, or this guy, wasn't Gamil one of them? What do you mean? I thought it, this, this, guy, this rabbi was, was martyred too. Abin Gamil was not a martyr, no. Kiva was, no, the Kiva was, was, were. Yeah. So it was next generation. Gamliel, yeah. one second. Maybe Gamliel. Yeah. I have to check it. I don't remember. He was told him to stop. And he stopped. That was too much, basically. The crowd could not see the insult of Rabbi Yeshua. Now, you Rabbi Yeshua was a very humble man, very nice person. Everybody loved him. He was beloved by everybody. They mean, Rabbi Gabriel insulted Rabbi Yeshua, and they didn't want to take it. The sages continue. The saga continues. The saga continues. They said, how long will Rabbi Gamliel go on distressing Rabbi Yeshua? On Rosh Hashanah last year, he distressed him. Okay, let's stop right here. What was the story of Rosh Hashanah last year? It was a story Then at that time the Beidin used to decide when is, when is the beginning of the month, when is the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. And they decided, the, the Rabbi Gamliel accepted that Rosh Hashanah is on Monday, let's say. And Rabbi Yeshua said that according to the calculation, according to the, the, the witnesses that came were natural witnesses, and therefore Rosh Hashanah is Tuesday. It's a big argument. If Rosh Hashanah is Tuesday, then Yom Kippur is a day later. That means Rabbi Gabriel will have Yom Kippur on whatever Wednesday. Rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua will have on Thursday. Can you imagine Jewish people in one shul they fast a day before the other shul? In Cleveland nights, Rosh, Yom Kippur is Shabbos. In Beachwood is Yom Kippur on Sunday. It cannot, cannot work like this. <coughs> that he told Rabbi Yeshua, I want you that I knew Yom Kippur. Rabbi Yeshua was ready to fast two days. Is Yom Kippur and is Yom Kippur. Just not to violate the Yom Kippur according to his opinion. Rabbi Gamliel told him, no, 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 we cannot have you in this business. Everybody will have his own Shabbos, his own Yom Kippur. It doesn't work like this. There, there is actually an expression, everybody makes his own Shabbos. You cannot make everyone, oh, this is Shabbos, this is Shabbos, this is Friday. What's going on here? Told him, come and you Yom Kippur. When you think it's Yom Kippur, come from... Lud, I think he was living, should travel on your, on your donkey, on your horse, and come with your wallet and with your cane, basically violate your holiday to show to everybody that you don't have a, donia, a different Yom Kippur. And the story there tells a story that Rabbi Yeshua was very depressed, that according to him, he felt that he's going to violate his Yom Kippur. 
that Rabbi Akiva there came and told them to comfort them. And he told them, Rabbi, didn't you teach us that he showed them from the verses in the Torah that God gave the Beidin the power to decide when is the holidays. It means to say, even when the, when the, when the Beidin, when the rabbis make a mistake, it's still the holidays according to when the rabbis make a mistake. Basically, if the rabbis made a mistake, it's Monday, God will do Rosh Hashanah Monday, because the moment, he, that's Judaism. He gave the Torah to the people, in this case, in the case of the Beidin, of the day of the, no, it's not about everything, you cannot do whatever you want, but in the case of the calendar, in the Beidin, Rosh Hashanah, in Yavne, if they decided the wrong day, God will say, could be wrong, but if this was, I, I empower them to make the decision, whatever the decision is going to be. Then he said, then what are you upset? That's what Hashem wants. That he told him, Nihamtani, you comfort me. When Rabbi Yeshua came to Yavne, with, and his onion keeper, Rabbi Gabriel kissed them and told them, you are my disciple by listening to me, but you're my rabbi by your behaving. Mm -hmm. I gave him a lot of credit. But that was already one time that he forced them to change his, to in, insult them basically, he forced them to do something against the will. The second, the second story was, in the matter of the firstborn and the incident with the rabbi Haddock, he distressed him. Okay. What was the matter of the firstborn? The Jewish law says that when a firstborn kosher animal has to be given to the Kohen, and the Kohen has to sacrifice it. It's only a pure animal, a kosher animal. This part of the week is about pure animals. Then... Uh, After the temple is destroyed, what the coin is supposed to do with it? That the coin gets it, and he waits until a blemish happens to the animal. An unblemished animal cannot be offered on the, on, the, on, the, on the altar. Then he can slaughter it and eat it normally. It was a story. Rabbi Tzodek was a coin, and he received the firstborn animal, and a blemish fell into it. Now, the, the, we usually don't believe the owner, the Kohen, that, he, that the blemish was... A regular person, we don't believe, he cannot testify in the blemish, because maybe he went and he did the blemish by himself, to, just to make it kosher. That Rabbi Tzodek came and asked Rabbi Yeshua, do we make differences in this issue between a scholar and a regular person? Regular person we don't believe because he might do it for his own business. But a scholar, a, a, a Talmudic rabbi, we believe him, we wouldn't do it. If he, if he says that the blemish fell, uh, happened by itself, we believe him. That Rabbi Shua said, yeah, we make a difference between a scholar and a rabbi. Between a regular person and a scholar. He came to Rabbi Gamliel and he asked him, do we have a difference between a scholar and a rabbi? He said, no. Oh, really? Rabbi Shua told me that there is a difference. Told him we'll wait for the meeting. He, he, did, he did them the same show. He bought for the wait for the meeting. He got Rabbi Tzadik to ask the question. And he made them stand up. And he let them stand. Then he insulted them in the story of Rosh Hashanah. He insulted them of the story of the firstborn animal. He says, now the third time. Oh, oh, oh. finish the paragraph, yeah. Here too. See it? Here too, he distresses him. Come, let us depose him. Let us depose him. The third time, you know, when you do in Judaism, it's all about three times. So Once, 
Mm-hmm. Huh? Two strikes. Two strikes. Two strikes. They took it from Judaism. <laughs> in Judaism, everything is a chazoka. Judaism is a little bit before baseball. They took it from us. <laughs> the third time, it's time to... The, the crowd says, let's get... We cannot, we cannot continue it. And maybe, maybe so I could be also the rabbi. Actually, the rabbi said that they said that's already the third time. Basically, there is that dispute here. Something is not working here. And I'm is so strict. We have to do something about it. Let's remove them. Not doesn't happen such things. Usually, a rabbi is a job for life. <laughs> you don't remove them so fast. Then here, they wanted to remove Rabbi Gamliel, the leader of the Jewish people. Okay. Agreeing to this, the sages asked, Whom shall we appoint in his stead? Shall we appoint Rabbi Yehoshua? We cannot do so, for he is personally involved in the incident. It will, be, it will look like that they appointed, he said, Who should they appoint? Rabbi Yeshua? It will look like that Rabbi Yeshua started a fight to get a job. It's not nice. Go ahead. Shall we appoint Rabbi Akiva? We cannot do that either. For perhaps Rabbi Gamaliel will cause punishment to befall him, and he will die because he does not have the merit of righteous forefathers to protect him. Let's stop right here. That shows you that Rabbi Akiva was on this level that could be already the leader of the Jewish people. And they said, but the problem with Rabbi Akiva is he did not have the merit of great of generations before. We all rely on our forefathers. The good mitzvahs, they, 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 that's all on our account, God. That's not better if the cushion. Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, his father was a convert. But they said, Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel will be, be upset that he was removed from the job. His, his, his anger might cause a punishment for Rabbi, 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 Gamliel, for, uh, Rabbi Akiva. From heaven, he will, because he's so upset, it might hurt Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, because when a great rabbi is upset, uh, the other person could be hurt by, by this. If he upset, if he's the person who upset them, then we need somebody who is a cushion of a lot of good merit to protect them from the spiritual anger of Rabbi Gamliel, the insult of Rabbi Gamliel, so to speak. They came up with an idea. Rather, let us appoint Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah Mm-hmm. For he is wise, and he is wealthy, and he is the tenth generation aye, aye, from Ezra. He has everything. He's wise. <laughs> he's wealth, wealthy, and he's a tenth generation of Ezra the scribe. Ezra the scribe was in the beginning of the second temple, one of the greatest leaders of the Jewish people. And he's a tenth generation that Rabbi Lozab and Azariah is protected. That the Gemara says, why, why we need all these three categories? The importance of these attributes for the position of Nasi is explained. He is wise, so that if he is asked something, he will be able to answer. Because usually, if a rabbi doesn't know everything, and he becomes a leader, and the people don't like him, they come and ask him questions that he doesn't know. And then they make him, <laughs> you're the leader, you don't know the answers. That's, by the way, one of the weapons when you want to insult a great rabbi, is you, you ask him a question in public, in front of everybody, and, uh, okay, you don't know. No, nobody says anything, but just he didn't know. And it's all about who knows more than said the blossom and Azari will ask a question, he will know the answer. Number two. He is wealthy. So that if one is needed to deal with the house of the Caesar, he too, like yeah, Rabban Gamliel, will be able to go and deal with them. In Roman Empire, 
If you're not rich, nobody even talks to you. By the way, it's true until today. Who is the head of the old American Federation, whatever it is? What's it? Ashamish from the Shul. You think one of the richest men in America. Every time it's like this. Very, I mean, what it was, uh, it was all the big names. They were always very, very money talks. It was true then, it was true now. Rabbi Gamlil was a rich man. And Rabbi Loza ben Azari was a rich man. Then he will exactly that. If you go, if you go, if you if he comes, if he comes to the Roman Empire, he comes to the government. They listen to him. He's a big macher. Number three. And he is the tenth generation from Ezra, so that he possesses the merit of righteous forefathers. And Rabban Gamil be unable to cause him punishment. Exactly. He will have the merit of great fathers and forefathers. They will protect him that they decided, they found the right candidate, Abeloza ben Azariah. Beautiful. Okay. <clears throat> this choice was adopted. So they came and said to Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah, it is pleasing to the master to become head of the Mesifta. Mesifta means like the yeshiva. <clears throat> Until today they called the yeshiva Mesifta. They asked him, you want to be the head of the Mesifta? He said to them, I will go and consult with the members of my house household. He said he will consult with the members of his household. He was embarrassed to say he's going to consult his wife. Look, look in a minute. He went. He went and he consulted with his wife. <laughs> he couldn't admit that he's going to ask his wife. He says, I'm going to ask my family. Should I skip two, page, two pages. I made a mistake <clears throat> with the copies here. He wouldn't get that position before that. Yes, <laughs> Go ahead, in top of the page, top, top. She said to him, perhaps they will eventually remove you as well from the post. She told him, <laughs> if they remove the great Rabban Gamliel, you, young man, they will, the moment you will not do what they want, they'll throw you out. Look what you, you're going in a spot of somebody who was removed. Then what, what, where is the guarantee you will not be removed tomorrow? What he told them? He said to her, let a person use a precious glass cup one day, and the next day let it break. She said to him... What does this mean? What answer? He says, today we can use the good cup. Fine, tomorrow we'll break, we'll break. I can become the rabbi, the leader now. Tomorrow they told me out. I'll deal with it tomorrow. So far, so good. <laughs> Let's enjoy what we get. She, she told him. She said to him, but you have no white hairs in your, in your beard, and it is befitting for a lecturer to be older. Oh, she told him. See, his wife was, well, you come to your Jewish wife. You don't, uh, <laughs> you're going to be a rabbi. Why are you beflowed? Why should you do it? There are all the reasons why not. She told him, you are young. You are so young, nobody will have respect for you. You know, this is a problem that gets every day better. <laughs> Anybody who is black, a black beard or is young, and there's a famous story about a man who was a, wanted to be hired to his rabbi. <laughs> they told him, we love you. Then the committee told him, the only problem is you're too young. Says, Don't worry, this problem gets every day a little better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That day, Rabbi Elazar ben Azaira was 18 years old. A miracle occurred for him, and 18 rows of hair in his beard turned white. The Gemara says it was a miracle. 
could be that was not such a big miracle. But the moment you become the leader of the Jewish people, <laughs> in no time they will turn you your build white. Yeah. Let's look at Obama. I mean. Exactly. <laughs> Any, anybody who is in leadership position, then a miracle happened that this that turned his beard turned white was a sign for him to accept the position. That's what it was. Okay, the Gemara comments. The Gemara comments. It was in reference to this that Rabbi uh, Alazar ben Azariah said, I am like a 70-year-old man. And he did not say, I am a 70-year-old man. This is a quote from the Agada that we just learned. Yep. That he says, I'm like a 70-year-old man, because he wasn't a 70-year-old man. He was like a 70-year-old. And as we mentioned a few times, why he mentioned the number 70? That the Kabbalah tells us that he was a reincarnation of Samuel the prophet, who passed away by the age of 52. That 18 in 52 is 70. He didn't just came up with the number out of nowhere. He said, what, what, what was he saying, I'm a 70-year-old man? He said, I can cash on my past life. I look, I'm a younger man, but I'm a reincarnation. I wasn't here the first time. I'm not here the first time. That when I have the experience of my past life and my own, today's life, that's why we say today some very rich kids, the age of 27, how old is Zuckerberg? I don't know. Young, very young, become so successful. Because it's not one lifetime. It's five lifetimes. He was here a few times before. That's why, in general, our generations are so much more successful than our great great grandfathers in the Shtetl or barely, um, I mean, farmers or the war tailors. It's not because we are smarter than them, no. But because we have, we have the experience of our past life. We can cash on it. Unknowingly, subconsciously, we have more, we have more knowledge because we were here before. But, but he apparently knew it. That's the difference. <laughs> the difference between me and him. Yeah, you're right. He knew it. There was a story about a uh, Hasidic Rebbe, I think it was the Ruziner, I think. You or the David Sakovadich, one of them used to say, and Yom Kippur, when that's written in the prayers, he say, and this is how <laughs> the Kohen Gadol used to say. He used to say, this is how I used to say. He knew that in the past, in one of the past life, he was in the high priest in the Holy Temple. That used to say, this is how I used to say. But the, most of the people don't know, and it's better like this. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> Okay. Very, very quick question. Do we get reincarnation <coughs> from the Torah? I know there's some verses that come but that might support it, but do we get reincarnation from the Torah from verses? From the Torah itself? I don't think so, no. In the Bible? No. Yeah. In the five books of Moses, for sure not. No. Okay. Yeah, anywhere in the Bible? With the, no, the source in, of them? Maybe the prophet somewhere, in prophets, reincarnation in the prophet. I don't, I cannot recall that, no. There is, it can be, they, that later the Talmud makes connections and proves, but to say that it's written in the Bible somewhere, no. Okay. You want to continue? Yeah. The Gemara relates the vast changes that the appointment of Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah brought about. It was taught in, the, how do you say, in the Brisa? In the Brisa. That the day they removed the doorkeeper of the study hall. That day they removed the study keeper, the doorkeeper of the study hall. And the time of Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel didn't allow everybody to learn Torah in his yeshiva. Go ahead, continue. And permission was granted to all the students to enter. 
or Rabbi Gamil when he was Nazi would proclaim and say, any student whose inside is not as his outside, who is not sincere, may not enter the study hall. Rabbi Gamil believed that only special students are allowed to in his yeshiva. He didn't take every schlepper. Only capable students, thank you. <coughs> Only capable students should come, should come to the yeshiva. I mean, it's based, basically, it's based on a tradition, also an argument of Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai. Bet, Bet Shammai says, we should only teach Torah to the children of the rich and the good and the smart, the elite. Bet Hillel said, teach Torah to everyone. He is also, Rabbi Gamliel's opinion was, teach anybody who, that the inside is not like, is the outside is not, only the person that the inside is like the outside should, should be allowed it. Some historians want to say that was the time of the Roman um, revolution. They were planning the Roman, basically it was a very bad time. They were afraid of informers. They were afraid of people that who can, can, can bring, can, therefore what are you going to say? You're an informer, you cannot come that they said, anybody that is not righteous enough, we cannot let them in, what are you going to say? I'll tell you a story. My grandfather in Tashkent, my grandfather was Chabad, Chassid, Chabad Chassid and during the World War II, like many, many Russian Jews on the way to Uzbekistan to save themselves. My grandfather was in Tashkent. He was not a Chabad Chassid. But the, the, the organized Judaism, the secret organized Judaism in, in, in Tashkent was only Chabad. The rest of the Jews were running away, disappearing, giving up. Chabad was there, the only one told that. That my grandfather was automatically associated with this group. Not only this, they hired them, hired my grandfather to establish secret haters. He used to go knock on doors of Jew, mainly Jewish women that the husbands are in the, are in the army or, or died and they were often a little boy coming start to tell her, you want your child to know how to say Kaddish for your father, for his father? Bring him to me, we'll take him to a place, he will learn a little Torah, we'll give him lunch. It was a time of famine, there was nothing there. And he established such four groups, 20 children each in Tashkent, in four different secret spots. An unbelievable accomplishment in these times. He had even the nephew of Kaganovich. Kaganovich was one of the biggest um, communist and, and, the, and the closest friends of, of, uh, of uh, Stalin and the nephew of Kaganovich learned in my, my grandfather's cheder for, <laughs> it was a few years at older why they hired my grandfather who hired them, Chabad, Chabad people, it was not for Chabad kids, Chabad people even in Russia were busy with outreach, even during the communist time when it means, it means to, see, to teach, if the teacher is being caught, he's stay, sent straight to jail. That they were worried about Jewish kids out of nowhere. That they, I hired my grandfather because he was not official Chabadnik, that it would be easier for him to move around. Because he's not Chabad. Fine. Simcha Torah. And he, my, father, my grandfather had like his own shul and his, his own minion, his own thing, because he was in different customs. Simcha Torah decided he's going to the Chabad shul. Another secret place. He walks in. They are, they are auctioning out the art So you know they're specialized before the before the tour. 
And that's a custom in many shul talks now. One ruble for a Torah The other guy says two rubles. My grandfather says three rubles. He can afford three rubles. They look for friends, they tell them. People are not Chabad, you don't sell them. Can you imagine how insulted my grandfather was? They utilize me to go to do the, the walk, and suddenly when he comes to they, talk, they call them Polishers from Poland, the Polish Hasidim. Polishers we don't sell. Finished over, and they moved on with the selling, and a whole night went on. A few days later, one of his very good friends met him. Doesn't mean no rebound. I have something to tell him. We didn't, not, we didn't sell it to you because we hate you. When we said one ruble, we meant a thousand rubles. When we said two rubles, they were, many guys were doing black market, and that's how they survived in Russia. He says, me, we knew that you cannot afford 3,000 rubles. We know you, we know what you have. But he couldn't, he couldn't tell you that clear, that we said, we, we said, we, we the same thing is here. Rabbi Gamliel said, anybody who is not, we cannot trust them, we cannot have him here, basically. What are you going to say? You're an informer, you're a this, you're a that. Oh, you're not righteous enough, you're not, you're not, you're, you're not, you're not ready for our shiva. That was Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua didn't believe in going into a war against the Romans. Therefore he said, everybody's welcome. We are not here. We are not planning a revolution. Everybody can come. Rabbi Yeshua? I mean, Rabbi Lozor ben Azariah. The day Rabbi Lozor ben Azariah appointed to be a leader, he removed the, the guard from the door. Everybody can come. Everybody's invited to come to join the yeshiva. The Gemara continues the story. That, that <clears throat> that day, many benches were added to the study hall to accommodate the great influx of students who entered because of the new policy. Rabbi Yochanan said, Abba Yosef ben Dostai and the rabbis disagree about the matter. One says 400 benches were added, and one says 700 benches. In any case, <laughs> hundreds of students were flowing into the yeshiva. It was unbelievable what was going on that day. Okay. See, this development, Rabbi Gamil was dispirited. He Dis said, what is dispirited? It means down. very upset and very doubting. In the Talmudic language, it's called Cholshodaita. It's a nice word. Like he, yeah, the Hadishas it does, he was like, uh, 700 students. What he felt bad? Why? Deal, man. He said, he said, perhaps, God forbid, I withheld Torah from Israel. Can you imagine? He said that means that so many Jewish kids could learn Torah and I didn't allow them to learn Torah. They showed him in his dream white pitchers filled with ash. In his dreams, they showed him white pitchers filled with ash means to say that these disciples are nothing. That's what they showed. These disciples, this new student, are not real. It's full of ashes. It's not. It's not real. What do you mean? It means don't worry about them. In his dream, they showed them. The Gemara continues. The Gemara comments. Comments, yeah. But that was not the case. That is, this was not truly a heavenly sign that Graben Gamliel was correct. It was only to put his mind at ease that they showed him this. God wanted to show Rabban Gamliel to relax him, but the truth is, he, he was wrong. The right way was, Rabbi Rabbi way, you let every Jew to learn Torah, and you, and re, you know, this thing is going on until today, in one way or another. 
some yeshivas let everybody to come to learn Torah. Some yeshivas, no, it's only for us, it's only for this, it's only for the best, and only for the this. Mm-hmm. This argument in Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel goes on forever and ever and ever. It was before that the Levites used to be an elite group and they taught Torah only for the Levites, only for the coins and the Levites. The rest of them should go. And the great true leaders accepted every Jew no matter what. In Chabad there is a policy, everybody is welcome, no, no, no such thing as a... <coughs> and throwing away a child is almost unex- not, not existing. Because of this, you, cannot, you, can, you don't know what the Jewish child, the, and what the Jew, one Jewish child, what can come out of him, what his children can come out of him, that you don't re- uh, re- deny anybody. Okay, continue. The consequences of the new admissions policy were far-reaching. A Baraisa taught, tractate, Eduios was taught on that day, and any place wherein the expression on that day is used, it is a reference to that day. Basically, that day became the great day. All the, all the, all the disputes were resolved. If it, in one day, there's a big discussion, if it's one day happened, or it started from that day, but a new wave, a new spirit came to the yeshiva. A new level of learning came, because Judaism believes that more numbers elevate the quality. Quantity doesn't destroy the quality, just the opposite. Eventually, it's elevated the quality. Because there is, from a lot of quantity, can come out more quality. Understand? If 10 smart people, this amount of knowledge can come. From 100 people, there is more chances for more smart people, and so on and on and on. It is a reference to that day. That is the day that Rebbe Eliezer ben Azariah was installed as Nasi. And there was not a single law that had thus far been left unresolved in the study hall, which they did not then resolve. And even Rabban Gamliel did not withhold himself from the study hall, even for a moment, as we learned in a minute. That means to say, Rabban Gamliel, they throw him out of the, they remove him from being a Nasi. What usually a guy who is being removed from his job doesn't show up in yeshiva. He's embarrassed. He, he, was, he was an honest person. He came back to learn Torah like nothing happened. And what happened in that day? As we learned in a Mishnah, that day Yehuda, an Ammonite convert, came before them in the study hall. He said to them, What is the law as far as whether I may enter the congregation? That is, may I marry a Jewish woman? Ammonite, it's written in the Torah, Lo yavo amoni u'moavi b'ke'al Hashem. An Ammonite and a Moavite cannot, even if he converts, he cannot marry a Jewish person. Then this Yehuda, the Ammonite, came to the Beidin. He said, what should I do? What's going to be with me? Rabban Gamliel said to him, you are forbidden to enter the congregation. Rabban Gamliel told me not allowed. Like Bet it's written. Okay, Rabbi Yeshua. said Rabbi Yeshua to him, you are... Go to the middle page back. The middle page back. You are are permitted to enter the country. Yeah, Rabbi Yeshua, you're permitted. (laughs) Rabbi Gamliel said to Rabbi Yeshua, but it is not already stated, an Ammonite and a Moabite shall not enter the congregation of Hashem. He says, isn't it stated in the Torah clearly? How could you go against a verse in the Bible? Rabbi Yeshua responded, but do the descendants of Ammon and Moab still reside in their places? Is the Ammon and Moab of today the same Ammon and Moab of then? No. Why? Sancherev, king of Ashur, long ago came up and confused all the nations. Okay. What do you, you remember last week you learned about yes. Sancherev? Mm-hmm. 
Sanheris came and he had this policy to move people from one place to another. Go ahead, read it. That is, exiled the nations he conquered and resettled them in, di- in different lands, as it is stated. For he, Sanheris, said, I have removed the boundaries of peoples and have plundered their treasures. I have brought down dwellers and strongholds. Accordingly, since the nations of the world became integrated, even if someone comes from the land of Ammon, we must assume that he is not an actual descendant of that nation, for we apply the rule that whatever separates is assumed to have separated from the majority. From that, the, yeah, go ahead. That is the majority of, of people the, who are not Ammonites. Basically, when we meet a, ma- a person today, we don't say, oh, he, he might be an Ammonite. We don't know who is an Ammonite. But we assume everybody comes from the majority. The majority of the world are not Ammonites. That even a person comes from Ammon is not an Ammonite. Says, you're right, it's written in the Torah, an Ammonite should not marry within the Jewish people. But he's not an Ammonite. We know he's an Ammonite today. Forget about that. Sacheriff confused everything. So how do we deal with Amalek then? We don't know. We, we, we actually don't know he's Amalek. Absolutely we don't know he's Amalek. Until he comes out of his skin. <laughs> we don't, we, that, that doesn't go by this. <laughs> we don't know he's an Amalekite. You're right. There's a whole discussion how, how about certain people. They said it is Amalekite. If you don't know who is Amalekite, it's a whole discussion about that. So this just goes. This is much more in the future because when 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 Ruth was a Moabite, yeah, that's she was a woman. Ruth was three hundred years after the Torah was given, even less. Right. This is fifteen hundred years. This is a. Uh, yeah, thirteen hundred years after yeah, the, the rule. The rule was men. Yeah, this, this is this is already in the common era. That that's that's thir- that's fourteen hundred years exactly. It's nine hundred years, nineteen hundred years ago, absolutely later. Sure. Go ahead. You want to continue? Rabban Gamliel said to him, but it is already stated. Uh, but afterwards, I will return the captivity of the children of Ammon, the word of Hashem. So they have already returned. He says there is another prophecy that says that God will return the people of Ammon back to the place. That Rabbi Yeshua told them. Rabbi Yehoshua said to him, but it is also already stated, and I will return the captivity of my people Israel. Ah, it's written in the prophet that God will return the captivity of the Jewish people back to Israel. Did we came back yet? No. Obviously, it could be that they also are not back yet. Go ahead, continue, finish yeah, it. And nevertheless, they have not yet returned. Thus, just as the prophecy remains to be fulfilled, so too the prophecy regarding Ammon has not yet come to pass. Basically, Rabbi Yeshua proved this point. Go ahead. Mark? The Mishnah concludes, immediately permitted him, Yeshua, to enter the congregation according to the ruling of Rabbi Yeshua. The, the majority accepted Rabbi Yeshua's opinion, and Yehuda, the Ammonite, was accepted among the Jews. They told him, you can marry a Jewish person. I just, You're not an Ammonite. We're going back to Gamil and Yeshua, but, but Azariah is the, the head rabbi. Yeah, Yehuda, but, but he's not in this the, argument was Rabbi Yeshua. Yeah, they were that was, these two were arguing. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Loza was sitting on the side and enjoying the fight. <laughs> Why do you have to get involved in every fight? You leave it to them. They, after all, Rabbi Loza and Azari also knew that they are the two big players. I mean, not because they removed them, it's not to be the player. The Gemara resumes the story, said Rabbi Gamil, since this is the case that the law follows Rabbi Yeshua, I shall go and appease Rabbi Yeshua. Ah, he says, if this is the case, what means if this is the case? So what? If this is the case, that Allah became like Rabbi Yeshua, it means that God is it Rabbi Yeshua. 
because the person that Aloha is accepted by him, there were many opinions of rabbis. That the Aloha should be like you means that Hashem is with you. Even we see it about the Muslim, Rashi wrote a commentary to the Talmud, to the Bible. How many commentaries are there written to the Bible? How many of them you know? Very few. That means that Hashem helped Rashi that this commentary should become the strongest commentary of the Jewish people. That when something is accepted, it means that the person is with this, Hashem is with this person. And then he said, Rabbi Gamliel said, if Rabbi Yeshua was right and the rule was accepted with him, obviously Hashem is on his side. Maybe, maybe in the other story was also right. I have to go in an epism. He's right. I thought that I was right. I did it for the sake of God. But me, me, and now I see that God is on his side, basically. When he reached Rabbi Yeshua's house, he saw that the walls of his house were black. His house was black. The walls of the house of Rabbi Yeshua were black. He was very, very poor. He said to him, From the walls of your house it is apparent you are a smith. Said Rabbi Yeshua to him, Woe unto the generation whose leaders you, uh, leader you are, for you know not the suffering of Torah scholars, how they support themselves, and how they are nourished. Okay, he told him, are you a, a, a smith man? He told him, voice to you that you don't know how bad things are here. You're sitting in your own place. He was a rich man, Rabbi Gamliel, and you don't even know what's going on, what his real life is all about. Rabbi. Voice to the people that the leader does know what's going on. That's what he told them. Rabbi Gamil said to him, I've spoken excessively against you. Forgive me. Rabbi Yeshua forgive me. me. Yeah, I came to ask him forgiveness. He says, I spoke against you. Please forgive me. Rabbi Yeshua paid him no heed. No do heed. Rabbi Yeshua didn't listen to him. He didn't, he didn't want to forgive him. Go ahead. Do it. Rabbi Gamil pleaded for the sake of the honor of my father. Yeah, but Rabbi Yeshua was appeased. What did this really mean? He says, do it for the sake of my father, and, it, and he agreed to forgive him. Who is his father? The father was the, means the dynasty, of the Hillel dynasty. He says, it's for the sake of the house of David. Do it for the, not for me. That Rabbi Yeshua, for the sake of continuing the leadership on the house of David, he forgave them. Rabbi Yeshua was a humble man and a good person, and he forgave them. Go ahead, continue. Those present pondered the next step. They said, who will go and inform the rabbis? Okay, the point is, now that Rabbi Yeshua forgave Rabbi Gamliel, the only reason why Rabbi Gamliel was removed out of respect for Rabbi Yeshua. Now that Rabbi Yeshua is forgiven, we have to take him back. Now, who says the rabbis want him back? <laughs> You know, usually when these things happen, they happen, that's it. They said, who is going to inform the rabbis that Rabbi Yeshua had forgiven Rabbi Gamliel? Go ahead. A certain laundryman said to them, I will go, Rabbi Yeshua sent the following message with him to the sag of the study hall. He sent it to the sages of the study hall. The uh, laundryman said, I'll go. He tells them, here is what you should say. This is the word. He gave him like a code. Go ahead. Let him who is accustomed to wear the robe continue to wear the robe. Shall he who is not accustomed to wear the robe say to him who is accustomed to wear the robe? He said there is a special, one second, there is a special uniform for, for, <coughs> for the Nazi. He said the one who is accustomed to wear the robe should continue to wear the robe. And the guy who was never accustomed to wear the robe should give the robe back, basically. Basically, Rabbi, Rabbi Lozab and Azariah should give back the job 
the position to Rabban Gamliel. So his wife was right. So his wife was right. Always his wife was right. So, but don't, yeah. dog, don't jump to conclusions so fast. Remove your robe and I will down it. And I will done it. The, he said the person who has the robe should tell, should remove your robe and give it to the other person to wear it. Okay. Laundryman's mission fails. Rabbi Akiva said to the rabbis, lock the doors of the study hall so that the servants of Rabbi Gamliel do not come and harass the rabbis. They, when they heard the news that Rabbi Yeshua forgive Rabbi Gamliel, and now it starts a whole pressure to bring him back, Rabbi Akiva was there, said, close the doors before they come and jump on us. Let's, let's think about this matter, relax, and rethink it good if it's really worth it to bring him back to his position. The laundry man came back and told the guys he, he wasn't successful. Said Rabbi Yehoshua, better that I go to them myself. He came and knocked on the door. He said to them, let the sprinkler, son of a sprinkler, sprinkle. Shall he who is neither a sprinkler nor the son of a sprinkler say to the sprinkler, son of a sprinkler? <laughs> that is water a... Wow. water, and your ashes are... Yeah, go back to the last page and the last bottom part. Cinders. Cinders. What does this mean? Sprinkler, son of a sprinkler. You know, <laughs> to, to, to purify a person in the time of the temple, you have to sprinkle on them the water of the red heifer, right? Mm -hmm. Who sprinkled usually? A coin. That he says, should a sprinkler, the son of a sprinkler, who, who is the sprinkler? A coin, the son of a coin. The, the sprinkler, son of a sprinkler, should continue to sprinkle. Basically, the leader, a son of a leader, should continue to be the leader. And and the guy who is not a sprinkler, not a son of the sprinkler, should tell a guy who's not a coin should tell the coin what to do. That you that your water is a water is not kosher water, and the and the ashes used to put ashes of the or the red heifer into the water. Is the ashes uh, ashes of simple wood, burned wood? Basically, Rabban Rabbelozov and Azari will tell Rabban Gamliel who is the boss here. He's a sprinkler, son of a sprinkler, and the guy who is, who is a nobody comes from nowhere should tell us what should tell Rabban Gamliel what to do. That's, that was a way of, of speaking in the time of the town. <laughs> but it seems very strange that Yeshua right. took such a strong position. Shows you how humble the man was. And more than that, he wanted, he also wanted that the continuation of the leadership of King David should continue, the Hillel's house continue. It wasn't about them, it was about the office of the presidency, so to speak. Elazar Ben Azariah was not from Hillel? No, Elazar and Azariah was from Ezra. What was Ezra? Was a priest. A priest. Beautiful. For the tribe of Levi. Rabbi Gamliel was on the... Elazar David was on the tribe of Judah. They are not coins. Then they knew that the, coins, that the, the leaders of the Jewish people, it's written in the Torah, should be... It's a whole verse in the Torah, it's written, should be from, the, from a certain lineage. That Rabbi Yeshua also wanted it should continue. He didn't want to be the one who causes that the lineage should stop. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, one of the three things that he was asking from the, from the Roman emperor, when he told them, I want, when he, the whole story that we learned that one day, he told them, he told them save the disciple, the, the descendants of, of uh, Elah, the, the house of Elah. 
It was so important to Rabbi Yochanan Mezakai that he gave up his own position, kind of. Yeah, he was the leader. And he appointed Rabbi Gamliel to be the leader. You understand? That Rabbi Yeshua is going to cause that this should stop. He didn't want to make it stop. Did he appoint uh, Rabbi Gamliel right away when they got to Yad? It's a whole... Or, it's a whole... <laughs> or was it a year later? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ten years later. Who knows? <laughs> Who appointed whom? Some opinions say Rabbi Yehuda Mezakai died before... The, uh, it's complicated. It's not written clearly. In any case... That Rabbi Omar Omar Rabbi Akiva said to him. Rabbi Akiva said to him, Rabbi Yeshua, you are appeased. You are appeased. Continue. Did we do this? Remove Rabbi Gamliel from the office of the Nasi for any reason other than your honor? We did it for you. Oh, now you relax. Now everything is good. We did it for you. Don't scream at us. Don't give us lectures. We did it for you. Tomorrow you and I will arise to his, Rabbi Gamliel's door. Basically to ask them to take him back. Now the sages... The sages ponder their options. They said, how shall we do this? Shall we remove Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah completely from office? We cannot do that. For we have a tradition that we ascend in matters of sanctity but do not descend. Very important things to know. In Yiddishkeit, in anything of sanctity, you don't go back. You go more. You do more. Therefore, in, the, in, Jude, in Judaism, they institute a new tradition. They never stopped it, even if it was because of a reason. You grow in your Yiddishkeit. What you did last year is very nice for last year. You have to go a little more. The moment you went more, you never go back. You never go back. The Rebbe is to tell Israel, is Hasidim, don't, uh, <coughs> they wanted to open a new institution. I shiver, they said, don't open, relax. Because if you open, there is no going back. Because, based on this concept, Malim Bakodesh, you go in, we, we, which mitzvah we see it, in which holiday we see it, that you go and go up, not down. Hanukkah. Hanukkah. One candle, two candles, three candles. We accepted Beit opinion. Not Beit Shammai opinion, it goes down, down. Because Mali, that the reason that they bring, the Gemara brings in the Talmud, in the story of Hanukkah, Malim Bakodesh, very Moritik. In medals of sanctity, you're going up, not down. Counting the Omer. Counting the Omer, this is a good example. Yes, very good. Go ahead. Therefore, once Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah has been elevated to the position of Nasi, he cannot be demoted. Mm -hmm. Shall one master lecture one week and the other master one week? Every Shabbos, they used to give a speech, a lecture. It says one should get a lecture this week and another. Lecture, do it one in one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, meaning they should alternate. This arrangement, too, is unacceptable, for it will lead to jealousy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Even great rabbis sometimes can lead to jealousy. Rather, let uh, Rabban Gamliel lecture three weeks and Rabbi Alazar ben Azariah <laughs> one week. Three, from a month, three Shabbos will be Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel, one Shabbos Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. Continue. <laughs> The Gemara states, and this is the meaning of that which the Master said in Barsaya. Mm -hmm. Whose week, <laughs> whose week was? Whose week was it? It used to be a question. There is a story about two disciples came to Rabbi Yeshua, and they came from the yeshiva. That he asked <laughs> this Shabbos, whose week was it? Who gave the speech? People used to ask, who is speaking this week? Which rabbi is speaking this week? The young rabbi, all the older rabbi. Some people went to this, and some people went to this. Finish it. 
The Gemara concludes. Concludes. And, and, and that student who originally asked the question that sparked the entire incident was Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Uh, by the Zohar. end of the conversation, the Gemara says, who sparked this whole story? That's an amazing way of writing things. The Gemara wanted us to, to judge the story as the story without any preconceived notion. doesn't make a difference to the students. This is about the evening prayer? Yes. He says, now when you learned everything and you see the end of the story, the Gemara tells you that the student, the student won. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai died on Lag Omer. That's why now the, the days of Sfirat Omer, that's why we learn this thing today. And uh, that's, uh, that was... Uh, and <coughs> that his wife, was, Rabbi Lozo's wife, was wrong in the end of the day. Mm-hmm.